ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were talking about the rulings of the Jum'ah prayer and we mentioned it is not permissible to talk during the khutbah and that you are supposed to sit silently listening to the khutbah and not to be playing around or fidgeting or talking and if a person sneezes during the khutbah then you say Alhamdulillah but quietly to yourself. Quietly to yourself, you do not say it out loud to disturb others. وَيَجُوزُ الْكَلَامُ قَبْلَ الْخُطْبَةِ وَبَعْدَهَا وَإِذَا جَلَسَ الْإِمَامُ بَيْنَ الْخُطْبَتَيْنِ لِمَصْلَحَةِ لَكِنْ لَا يَنْبَغِ التَّحَدُّثْ بِأُمُورِ الدُّنْيَا and it's permissible to speak before the khutbah and after the khutbah. And in between the two khutbahs, if there is some benefit, some benefit that is associated to the khutbah and to the Friday. وَبِالْجُمْلَةِ فَخُطْبَةَ الْجُمْعَةِ لَهُمَا أَهْمِيَّةِ عَظِيمَةِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ So generally speaking, the two khutbahs, the two khutbahs, they are very important in Islam. لِمَا تَشْتَمِلَانِ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ تِلَاوَةِ الْقُرْآنِ وَذِكْرْ أَحَدِيثِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Because those two khutbahs, they have the mentioning of the Qur'an, the recitation of the Qur'an in them, and the mentioning of ahadith in them. وَتَذَمُّنِهِمَا التَّوْجِيهَاتِ النَّافِعَةِ وَالْمَوْعِذَةِ الْحَسَنَةِ وَالتَّذْكِيرِ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ And also because in the Jum'ah Khutbah there is a reminder, a reminder regarding the uh, judgment and regarding the accountability upon a person and there is a reminder overall regarding your affairs. فَيَجِبُ الْإِهْتِمَامُ بِهِمَا مِنْ قِبَلِ الْخَطِيبَ وَمِنْ قِبَلِ الْمُسْتَمِعِينَ And therefore, importance needs to be given to the Jum'ah Khutbah from the Khatib himself and from all of the people listening. فَلَيْسَتْ خُطْبَةُ الْجُمْعَةِ مُجَرَّدْ حَدِيثَ عَادِي كَالْأَحَدِيثَ الَّتِي تَلَقَّى فِي النَّوَادِ وَالْإِحْتِفَالَاتِ وَالْإِجْتِمَاعَاتِ الْعَادِيَةِ so the khutbah isn't just some general talk. It isn't just some general talk, but rather it is something very beneficial and specific to mention ayat, to mention a hadith, to give a reminder to people regarding their religion. It isn't just a general talk. وَمِمَّا يَنْبَغِي التَّنْبِيهِ عَلَيْهِ أَنَّ بَعْضَ الْمُسْتَمِعِينَ لِخُطْبَتِي الْجُمْعَةِ يَرْفَعُ سَوْتَهُ بِالتَّعَوُّضِ عندما يسمع شيئا من الوعيد في الخطبة أو يرفع صوته بالسؤال والدعاء عندما يسمع شيئا من ذكر الثواب والجنة وهذا شيء لا يجوز وهو داخل في الكلام المنهي عنه حال الخطبة الشيخ says when the khutbah is going on if the khatib mentions something about punishment and something about the hellfire about the punishment of the grave other types of punishments you sometimes hear people saying, A'udhu Billah, like seeking refuge in Allah from those punishments. Saying, A'udhu Billah. Some people say that out loud when the khatib is mentioning some punishments or hellfire or punishment of the grave. You hear people making dua to be saved from those punishments during the khutbah. Or if the imam is talking about paradise, and talking about the rewards of paradise, etc. You hear some people making dua in the middle of the khutbah, Allah enter us into paradise. 
or making some dua and supplication about paradise. Those types of speech and those types of supplications are not permissible during the khutbah. When you hear the imam talking about paradise or hell or punishment or blessing, you do not seek refuge or seek to be entered into paradise. These types of supplications during the khutbah are not allowed. وَقَدْ دَلَّتِ النُّسُوسِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْكَلَامِ حَالَ الْخُطْبَةِ يُفْصِدُ الْأَجْرِ And the texts, they indicate that talking during the khutbah, it ruins your reward. It ruins your reward. وَأَنَّ الْمُتَكَلِّمْ لَا جُمْعَةَ لَهِ And a person who talks, there's no reward of jum'ah for him then. وَأَنَّهُ كَالْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ أَسْفَارًا فَيَجِبُ الْحَذَرِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَالتَّحْذِيرِ مِنْهُ And it's mentioned the example of a donkey that carries the scriptures. وَقَدْ ذَكَرَ الْعُلَمَا رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهِ أَنَّ صَلَاةَ الْجُمْعَةَ فَرْضٌ مُسْتَقِلْ لَيْسَتْ بَدَلًا مِنَ الظُّهَرِ The scholars have mentioned that Jum'ah is an independent obligation. It isn't just a swap for Dhuhr. It is an independent obligation. قَالَ عُمَرْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ صلاة الجمعة ركعتان عمر رضي الله عنه said that the Jum'ah prayer is two ركعات تمام غير قصر and that is complete it is not shortened or anything Jum'ah is just two ركعات على لسان نبيكم صلى الله عليه وسلم upon the tongue of your prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم وذلك لأنها تخالف صلاة الظهر في أحكام كثيرة and that is because Jum'ah is different to the Dhuhr prayer in many rulings. Jum'ah is different to the Dhuhr prayer in many rulings. وَهِيَ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ And Jum'ah is better than the Dhuhr prayer and more emphasized than the Dhuhr prayer. لِأَنَّهُ وَرَدَ عَلَى تَرْكِهَا زِيَادَ التَّهْدِيدِ Because the one who leaves the Jum'ah, there is a much more additional punishment and threat mentioned about the one missing the Jum'ah. Extra threat is mentioned about that. وَلِأَنَّ لَهَا شُرُوطًا وَخَصَائِسْ لَيْسَتْ لِصَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ And because the Jum'ah prayer has certain specifics, certain things you have to do about the Jum'ah prayer, which are not things you have to do about the Dhuhr prayer. وَلَا تُجْزِئْ عَنْهَا صَلَاةِ الظُّهْرِ مِمَّا وَجَبَتْ عَلَيْهِ مَا لَمْ يَخْرُجْ وَقْتَهَا فَصَلَاةِ Pray the Dhuhr prayer as a swap for Jum'ah. As long as the time is in on a Friday, you have to pray Jum'ah. You can't just stay at home and say, I'm going to pray uh, Dhuhr today. You have to come. The men must come and they must pray the Jum'ah. وَصَلَاةُ الْجُمْعَةِ فَرْضُ عَيْنٍ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ ذَكَرْ حُرْ مُكَلَّفْ مُسْتَوْطِنْ And the Jum'ah prayer is obligatory upon who? Every male Muslim, free male Muslim, not a slave, every free male Muslim who is mukallaf, has reached the age of responsibility, the age of puberty onwards, mustawtin, meaning you're not traveling. So somebody who's a traveler has some lenience. Somebody who is not mukallaf yet, a young child, has lenience. Somebody who is not a free person is a slave, has lenience. And the women, of course, have lenience. They can stay at home. It's not obligatory to come. So every male that is free at the age of responsibility and not traveling is resident. Then you must come for the Jum'ah prayer. In Abu Dawood, from Tariq ibn Shihab, it is mentioned, Al-Jum'ah haqqun wajibun ala kulli muslimin fi jama'ah. Illa arba'ah. The Jum'ah, it is an obligation upon every Muslim to come and pray in the Jama'ah, except for people. Abdun Mamluk, a slave, it is not obligatory. Aw Imra'ah, a woman, it is not obligatory. Aw Sabi, a child, not at the age of responsibility yet, not obligatory. Aw Marid. Somebody who is ill and is unable to come, 
somebody who is ill and unable to come is also then given some lenience. Adara Qutni mentioned. Thought your question was going to be about this. This question, save it till the end. When we finish, remember at the end we'll do this question. Adara Qutni, he mentioned about from Jabir, Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir, fa'alayhi al-jum'ah, yawm al-jum'ah, Whomsoever believes in Allah on the last day, then upon him is to do the Jum'ah on a Friday. Upon him is to come and do the Jum'ah, pray the Jum'ah. The one who believes in Allah on the last day. Illa except maridan, somebody who is ill and can't make it. Musafiran, somebody who is traveling, then it's not obligatory. Sabiyan, a young child who doesn't have the responsibility upon them yet. Aw mamlukan, somebody who is a slave. Qala, Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah said, Kullu qawmin mustawtinina bibina'in mutaqarib la yadhanuna anhu shita' wa la sayfa' تقام فيه الجمعة إذا كان مبنيا بما جرت به عادتهم من مدر أو خشب أو قصب أو جريد أو سعف أو غير ذلك فإن أجزاء البناء ومادته, ومادته لا تأثير لها في ذلك وإنما الأصل أن يكون مستوطنين ليسوا كأهل الخيام والحلل الذين ينتجعون في الغالب مواقع القطر وينتقلون في البقاع وينقلون بيوتهم معهم إذا انتقلوا هذا شيخ شيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية is talking about those who are resident when you are resident in a place upon residence you must establish the Jum'ah prayer only if they are travelers that is different if you are resident regardless of how your residence is you are resident in a place then those residents must establish the Jum'ah prayer but the traveler, the Jum'ah is not obligatory upon him if he is traveling on a journey. The Prophet and the Sahaba, they used to go out traveling, for example, when they went on Hajj. And it's not narrated that they ever used to pray Jum'ah. It is not narrated that they ever used to pray Jum'ah in their travels. So when you're traveling, it is not upon you. وَمَنْ خَرَجَ إِلَى الْبَرِّ فِي نُزْهَةِ أَوْ غَيْرِهَا وَلَمْ يَكُنْ حَوْلَهُ مَسْجِدٍ تُقَامُ فِي الْجُمْعَةِ فَلَا جُمْعَةَ عَلَيْهِ وَيُسَلِّ ظُهْرًا And imagine now you went out somewhere. Imagine you went out camping. You go out somewhere on the outskirts of Bolton, you go camping, it's all fields and hills and everything, and it's a Friday. No mosque anywhere near. Then you don't have to do Jum'ah. You can pray Dhuhr in that case. Sheikh gives an example. If you went out like that somewhere to some camping or something, no mosque anywhere, a few of you have gone in that area, then you don't have to do Jum'ah in that isolated area. You can just pray the Dhuhr in that case. There is no mosque there, there is no Jama'ah being established. وَلَا تَجِبُ عَلَى امْرَأَةِ And it is not obligatory upon the woman. It is not obligatory upon the woman. أَجْمَعُ قَالَ ابْنُ الْمُنْذِرِ ابْنُ الْمُنْذِرِ said and others أَجْمَعُ أَنْ لَا جُمْعَةَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ They have agreed upon the fact that there is no obligation of Jum'ah upon the women. وَأَجْمَعُ أَنَّهُنَّ إِذَا حَضَرْنَا فَصَلَّيْنَا الْجُمْعَةِ أَنَّ ذَلِكَ يُجْزَ Counts for them, they get the reward for the Jum'ah, but it's not obligatory, they don't have to. But if they do, the Jum'ah counts for them and they get the reward for it. Also, these other types of people, like a traveler, imagine somebody traveling manages to find a mosque and goes and prays Jum'ah on a Friday. 
No problem, it counts, he gets the reward. Doesn't mean if you're a traveler, it's haram to pray Jum'ah. So you can. And a person who's ill, he manages to struggle and come somehow, then okay, he'll get the reward for the Jum'ah too. So those were excuses that allow you to miss, but if you still go, then it's okay, you get the reward. The reason why those people were excused was to make things easier for them. When you're a traveler, it's difficult. You're traveling, you're on a journey to make the time to stop, to go to a mosque. These things are difficult when you're traveling. That's why it's allowed for you to miss the Jum'ah if you're traveling on a Friday. But if you manage it and you get to a mosque and you pray the Jum'ah, okay, good, you get the reward of it. If you're ill, again, to make things easy for you, if you're ill and struggling, then you don't have to come. But if you do manage to come with some struggle, etc., you make it, then okay, you get the reward and the Jum'ah counts. Women as well, they don't have to come, but if they come, it counts. وَكَذَلِكَ الْمَرِيدِ لِأَنَّ إِسْقَاطَهَا عَنْ هَأُولَا لِلتَّخْفِيفِ عَنْهُمْ وَلَا يَجُوزُ لِمَنْ تَلْزَمُهُ الْجُمْعَةِ السَّفَرِ فِي يَوْمِهَا بَعْدَ زَوَالِ شَمْسِ حَتَّى يُصَلِّيهَا وَقَبْلَ الزَّوَالِ يُكْرَهَ سَفَرْ إِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ سَيُصَلِّيهَا فِي ضَرِيقِهِ Also, the scholars, they said, somebody whom the Jum'ah is obligatory upon them, a male, adult, whom the Jum'ah is obligatory upon, he's free, he's not traveling, resident, male, free, adult. Jum'ah is obligatory upon you. The scholars, they said, it is not permissible for you to go on a journey after the Zawal. After Zawal, after the middle of the day, how much left before Jum'ah is going to happen? It's going to happen right now. After the Zawal, that's it. Soon the Adhan is going to happen, the Khutbah Jum'ah is going to happen. They say it's not allowed for you to start going on a journey then. You say, okay, khalas, I'm going to go on a journey now, I don't have to pray Jum'ah, let's set off now. You don't set off then, stay then, you pray your Jum'ah then and set off afterwards. It's gone past the Zawal, it's not allowed for you to start your journey. That's what some of the scholars mentioned. So imagine you need to go to London, for example, and it gets to like 1.30pm. Here, for example, these days khutbah starts 1.45. 1.30 in your house, you can't say, okay, let's get in the car and set off to London now. You can't. Now it's there, time for Jum'ah. So now you come, pray, then set off. What about before? Imagine it's uh, 11 a.m. 11 a.m., 12, 12 a.m., 12 uh, midday. Now it's, the Zawal hasn't happened yet. Can you go on a journey now or not? You can, but it's makruh. It's disliked. Because midday, just one hour, two hours left. Or in the morning of Friday. Why are you going to go in the morning of Friday? If you can avoid it, avoid it. Pray the Jumu'ah. If you can't avoid it, like it's a flight or something, or train tickets, sometimes maybe it's difficult, maybe then. But otherwise, if you can avoid it, avoid your journey on that time. Why are you going to set off an hour or two hours in the morning before Jumu'ah? In that case, they say it's makruh. So unless, unless you're going to pray on your way. Imagine 11 in the morning, you say, okay, let's set off to London. But you make your intention, you plan it, halfway we're going to stop in Birmingham and pray Jumu'ah. That's okay then. That's okay because you made your intention to stop and pray on the way. But if you say 11 or 12 o'clock, let's set off and go now. And you know just one hour later you're going to miss the Jum'ah now, that's not good. They say that's makruh. وَيُشْطَرَطْ لِصِحَّةِ الْجُمْعَةِ For Jum'ah to be correct and proper, there are conditions. لِأَنَّهَا صَلَاةٌ مَفْرُوضَةٌ Because Jum'ah is an obligatory prayer, there are conditions to it. The first condition is دُخُولُ الْوَقْتِ the time for Jum'ah has to enter. فَاشْتَرَطَ لَهَا دُخُولُ الْوَقْتِ كَبَقِيَةِ الصَّلَوَاتِ So just like all of the other prayers, Jum'ah is at a certain time. And that time needs to enter. So you cannot pray Jum'ah before the time enters. إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا Allah said the prayer is written upon the believers at the fixed times. وَأَدَاؤُهَا بَعْدَ الزَّوَالِ أَفْضَلُ وَأَحْوَطُ Praying the Jum'ah after the Zawal is better and safer. Praying it after the Zawal is better and safer. لِأَنَّهُ الْوَقْتِ الَّذِي كَانَ يُصَلِّيهَا فِيهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فِي أَكْثَرِ أَوْقَاتِهِ Because the majority of the time the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Jum'ah after the Zawal. 
What about praying it before the zawal? Is it permissible even to pray the Jumu'ah before the zawal? This issue, there are some narrations about it, you know. But it's a difference of opinion between the scholars. It's a difference of opinion between the scholars whether you're allowed to pray before the zawal. Some scholars said yes. There are some opinions about this issue. And some scholars did say you can start the Jum'ah before the zawal. But the Shaykh says what's better and what's safer. What the Prophet ﷺ did the majority of the time, you pray it after the zawal. The Jum'ah after the zawal. And the time ends when? When's the last possible time you can pray Jum'ah? Same, when the time of Asr starts, that's the time of Jum'ah finished. Second condition, أَنْ يَكُونَ الْمُصَلُّونَ مُسْتَوْطَنِينَ بِمَسَاكِنْ مَبْنِيَّا بِمَا جَرَتِ الْعَادَ بِالْبِنَاءِ بِهِ فَلَا تَصِحُّ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْخِيَامُ بِيُوتِ الشَّعَرِ الَّذِينَ يَنْتَجِعُونَ فِي الْغَالِ مُوَاطِنِ الْقَمَرِ الْقَطَرِ وَيَنْقُلُونَ بِيُوتَهُمْ فَقَدْ كَانَتْ قَبَائِرِ الْعَرَبِ حَوْلَ الْمَدِينَةِ وَلَمْ يَأْمُرْهُمْ نَبِيُّ what about if you're like nomadic people? You know, nomadic people, they, they don't really have houses. They come, travel, they stop for a bit, they live in a small place for a while, put tents up, put other, like travelers as you call them, traveling people. Gypsies, they sometimes call them these types of people. They travel around, they don't ever stay anywhere permanent. They don't have permanent houses. They live in their, their caravans and other things and they come and stop for a while and they carry on. Another city stop for a while, carry on. Is Jum'ah obligatory upon them? Because technically they are, they are travelers and they are not travelers. Because they are going to come and maybe stay in Bolton for two weeks. Resident. Maybe even longer than that. Resident. Then they are going to set off and go to the next city and stay there for a while. Resident. So oh, do they have to pray Jum'ah? Or do they never pray Jum'ah then? For those types of people who do not live in proper residences, they are like we say nomadic, travelers. It is not actually obligatory. Jum'ah is obligatory upon residents, residents, that are recognized as residents. If somebody lives in a tent, or somebody lives in a barge, you know people live on barges, they live on barges, and that barge is not fixed in a place, you have to keep moving along the canal. Those types of people, they are not considered as fixed residents with fixed homes. That's the point. Anybody who does not have a status of being a fixed resident with a fixed home, proper home building as recognized by the people in the norms of the people, then the Jum'ah isn't obligatory upon them. The Jum'ah isn't obligatory upon them. Because they are considered as nomads. Nomadic is the word. People who in the olden days they used to travel about, they stop for a while where there's grass and water, and then after a while they move on to find more grass and water, and move on to other places where there's water. They move around like that. So those types of people, it is not considered for them to be fixed residents, or proper residents with proper homes. They have temporary homes, tents and whatever else. So those ones, the reason being because at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, around Medina there used to be these types of nomads. And it is not evidenced that the Prophet ﷺ ever said to the nomad type of people around Medina that they have to pray Jum'ah. It is not evidenced that they were ever told they have to establish Jum'ah. So the scholars say for that reason, if you are not properly resident, you're these temporary types of residents, nomads, travelers, then it's not actually obligatory. وَمَنْ أَدْرَكَ مَعَ الْإِمَامِ مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْجُمْعَةِ رَكَعَةَ أَتَمَّهَا جُمْعَةَ So now imagine you come in on a Friday and you missed the khutbah, you were late and the prayer has started and in fact they finished the first rak'ah. They have finished the first rak'ah. And you've only come in when they've just started the second rak'ah. Do you pray Jum'ah or do you make it for Dhuhr? Hmm. 
Zuhar in that case. You missed the first rak'ah. You've come in, khutbah's finished. First rak'ah, they're just getting up. They just finished their second sajda. Allahu Akbar, they're just standing up as you walk in. So as soon as you join, it's just the beginning of second rak'ah. Are you going to pray Jum'ah? Are you going to get up and just pray one rak'ah when they finish? Or do you have to do dhuhr now? So the Sheikh says here, uh, according to his opinion, that if you catch one rak'ah, you do catch one rak'ah, it counts as Jum'ah. You can just get up and pray one more rak'ah. If you catch at least one rak'ah. But imagine you come in the second rak'ah, they're already in the sajda. You missed both rak'ah. You missed the ruku' and the second one too. Now they say, Dhuhr. They say, you missed Jum'ah, both rak'ah, you missed them. But if you catch at least one rak'ah, then some of the scholars say that is sufficient, it counts as Jum'ah, you just have to make up one afterwards. Hadith in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, Man adraka, or the asal of it is anyway, Man adraka raka'atan min al-Jum'ah, faqad adraka salah. Whomsoever catches one raka'ah of Jum'ah has caught the prayer. Wa in adraka aqalla min raka'ah, if you catch less than even one raka'ah, بأن رفع الإمام رأسه من الركعة الثانية قبل دخوله معه. They've come out of the second ركوع before you join in. فاتت صلاة الجمعة. You've missed the Jum'ah prayer then. فيدخل معه بنية الظهر. So you enter into the prayer but your intention now has to be ظهر prayer. فإذا سلم الإمام أتمها ظهرا. So when they finish their salam you're going to get up and pray. ظهر now you missed the ركوع of the second ركعة. ويشترط لصحة صلاة الجمعة تقدم خطبتين. فجمعة prayer two ركعات جمعة prayer to be valid you have to have a خطبة. You have to have the جمعة خطبة. You can't just pray two ركعات without a خطبة. For the جمعة خط for the جمعة prayer to be valid it must have the خطبة before it. There must be a خطبة. And that is because the Prophet ﷺ throughout his life never prayed Jum'ah without khutbah. So you must have a khutbah with the Jum'ah. There's no such thing as just a prayer without the khutbah. So you must have the khutbah with the Jum'ah. لِمُوَاظَبَةِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمَا عَلَيْهِمَا وَقَالَ ابْنِ عُمَرْ كَانَ نَبْسَى سَلَّمْ يَخْطُبُ يُخُطْبَتَيْنِ وَهُوَ قَائِمْ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَهُمَا بِجُلُوسِ in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, hadith of Ibn Umar, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to do two khutbahs standing up and he used to break up between them with a small sitting. Two khutbahs in between a sitting. That is the Jum'ah khutbah, no doubt. The only difference of opinion is about the Eid khutbah. Should the Eid khutbah be like the Jum'ah one, two? Do one small sitting, do the second one? Or is the Eid khutbah just one long khutbah? There is a difference of opinion about the Eid khutbah. Should it just be one long khutbah finished and that's it? Or like the Jum'ah one, the Imam does the first part, sits, waits, does the second part, same as Jum'ah. Or just one long one, there's a difference of opinion about Eid. Also, min shuruti sihhatihima. Also, from the conditions of the validity of Jum'ah, in the khutbah there must be some praise upon Allah, there must be the shahadatan, there must be the salah upon the messenger, everything you hear at the beginning, khutbah al-hajah, all of those parts, they need to be in there. They need to be in there, that is part of the khutbah, that is how the khutbah is done on a Friday. You mention the praise and the salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ, you testify to the shahadatain, you mention all of these affairs, they must be in there. And the Shaykh says there should be at least some Quran mentioned in the khutbah. There should be, at least even if it's just one ayah. There should be some Quran even if it is just one ayah. Even one ayah in the khutbah at least. So that is the way to do the khutbah. Uh, and the Shaykh says this is in opposition to how some of the modern day people they do the khutbahs where there is no ayat, no hadith, nothing, just 
types of speech, politics and what's going on here and what's going on there and this country and that country and this ruler and that ruler, no ayat, no ahadith, nothing about the sunnah, that is not the way the khutbah should be done. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, وَمَنْ تَأَمَّلَ خُطَبَ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم وخطب أصحابه that whomsoever ponders over the khutbas of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the khutbas of the companions وَجَدَهَا كَفِيلًا بِبَيَانَ الْهَدِي وَالتَّوْحِيدِ وَذِكْرِ صِفَاتِ الرَّبِّ جَلَّ جَلَالَهِ وَأُصُولِ الإيمان الكلية والدعوة إلى الله وذكر آلائه تعالى التي تحببه إلى خلقه وأيامه التي تغوفهم من بأسه والأمر بذكره وشكره الذي يحببهم إليه ويذكرون من عظمة الله من عظمة الله وصفاته وأسمائه ما يحببه إلى خلقه ويأمرون من طاعته وشكره وذكره ما يحببهم إليه فَيَنْصَرِفُ السَّامِعُونَ وَقَدْ أَحَبُّوهُ وَأَحَبَّهُمْ Ibn Qayyim says when you think about the khutbahs of the Prophet ﷺ, what he used to say in them and the companions when they used to give khutbahs what they used to mention in them they used to be full of guidance full of tawheed full of the mentioning of the, the attributes of Allah about the principles of iman iman in Allah, iman in the angels in the prophets, in the books, in the day of judgment in the decree about da'wah Calling people to the religion, encouraging them to the religion, mentioning the signs of Allah and mentioning the greatness of Allah, the names and attributes of Allah, mentioning the people to the people about obedience to Allah, being grateful to Allah and remembering Allah, supplicating to Allah. These are the types of things that would be mentioned in the khutbah. In order that the people then love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They go away with love in their hearts for practicing and obedience and worship. That is the types of things that used to be mentioned. Then the time period became long. And the light of prophethood became hidden. وَصَارَتِ الشَّرَاعِ وَالْأَوَامِرِ رُسُومًا تُقَامُ مِنْ غَيْرِ مُرَاعَاتِ حَقَائِقِهَا وَمَقَاصِدِهَا فَجَعَلُوا الرُسُومُ وَالْأَوْضَاعَ سُنَنًا لَا يَنْبَغِي الْإِخْلَالِ بِهَا وَأَخَلُّوا بِالْمَقَاصِدِ الَّتِي لَا يَنْبَغِي الْإِخْلَالِ بِهَا رَصَعُوا الْخُطُبَ بِالتَّسْجِيعِ وَالْفَقْرِ وَعِلْمِ الْبَدِيعِ وَنَقْصِ بَلْ عَدَمِ حَظِّ الْقُلُوبِ مِنْهَا وَفَاتَ الْمَقْصُودُ بِهَا Then he says that afterwards people basically started changing things. And they didn't give the khutbah upon the prophetic way how the Prophet ﷺ used to give, mentioning those types of topics that should be mentioned. And instead it became more formalized and they started mentioning various other topics and things. And they lost the original purpose of the khutbah. And imagine, this is what Ibn al-Qayyim said 800 years ago. That people are giving khutbahs and they've lost the purpose of the khutbah. They don't do what the Prophet ﷺ used to do about reminding people and about the names and attributes and about the signs of Allah and about the religion and obedience. Ibn al-Qayyim is saying all those hundreds of years ago already now people give khutbahs and they don't even care about those things. They've lost the purpose of the khutbah. That was then. So what about now when people give the khutbah talking about this and that and politics and all types of things but not talking about the religion, not talking about ayat, not talking about ahadith. That is lost then. They have lost the purpose of the khutbah. Sheikh says, Ba'adul khutbah, some of the people who give khutbah, or kathir minhum, or many of them, yaj'al al-khutbah ka'annaha mawdu' insha' madrasi. They make their khutbahs like it's some type of call it assignment like it's some type of school assignment they get up and they just talk maybe some of it is linked to the other parts maybe it's not linked maybe something here something there or random things they just come up with random ideas random things just talking talking no real core to it no real subject to the khutbah that day no real topic to it, no ayat, no hadith. 
just talking here, there, everywhere. And many of them, some of them don't even know the conditions of the khutbah. So they have degraded many of these people giving khutbah to this level where it's just speech and talk and here and there and all types of things. Nothing about ayat and a hadith and they have not understood or given the real purpose of the khutbah. Also, one of the problems in the khutbah, the Shaykh says, with some people is that they talk about topics that are not suitable for the khutbah. They get into certain issues and certain topics, maybe religious issues and topics, but are not suitable for a khutbah on a Friday. Friday khutbah is about reminding people and encouraging people, but sometimes people, they may come and they talk about certain issues that are not going to benefit and remind the people issues that are not suitable as a khutbah topic. So the Shaykh says many people fall into that too nowadays. So he says, Ya ayyuhal khutaba, Oh you, the ones who give the khutbahs, عوضوا بالخطبه إلى الهدي عوضوا بالخطبه إلى الهدي النبوي Return back to the prophetic guidance in giving your khutbahs. Return back to the prophetic guidance in giving your khutbah. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Indeed, you have a good example in the Prophet ﷺ to follow. رَكِّزُوا مَوَاضِعِهَا عَلَى نُصُوصٍ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ وَالسُنَّةِ أَلَّتِي تَتَنَاسَبُ مَعَ الْمَقَامِ Focus on the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah which are suitable for that situation, your khutbah, your topic. وَمِّنُوهَا الْوَصِيَّ بِتَقْوَى اللَّهِ Include in your khutbah. Advice about having fear of Allah, taqwa of Allah, wal-maw'idha al-hasana, and good admonition to the people. Aaliju biha amrad mushtama'atikum bi uslubin wadih mukhtasar. Try to fix the problems of the community by giving advice on certain issues. Akthiru fiha min qira'at al-Qur'an al-Azim al-Ladhi bihi hayat al-Qulub al-Nur al-Basair. Read a lot of Qur'an ayat in your khutbah which will bring light to the heart and to the eyes of the people. إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ الْمَقْصُودُ وُجُودُ خُطْبَتَيْنِ فَقَطْ Shaykh says it's not just about having two khutbas. The topic counts. The subject counts. It's not just coming and talking and doing two khutbas and saying I've done it now. The topic and the subject is important. المقصود أثرهما في المجتمع The point of the khutbah is that it impacts the community. It impacts upon the society. كما قال شيخ الإسلام شيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية said لا يكفي في الخطبة ذم الدنيا وذكر الموت لأنه لا بد من اسم الخطبة عرفا بما يحرك القلوب ويبعث بها إلى الخير وذم الدنيا والتحذير منها مما تواصى به منكر وشرائع بل لا بد من الحث على الطاعة والزجر عن المعصية. So Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah says, it's not enough that in the khutbah you talk about the dispraiseworthiness of the world and chasing after the world and reminder about death. Just doing that isn't enough. Telling people about the dispraiseworthiness of the world and reminding them about death, just that isn't actually enough. He says what you actually need to do is something which will impact on the hearts of the people. So you mention those things to them, but then advise them about obedience to Allah and to encourage them to come to the obedience to Allah and warn them against sinning. So give them da'wah and remind them, don't just mention about death and they'll remember death, but you need to mention with death the importance of doing your righteous actions now then before death comes. So you give them that admonition of what they can do and remind them of what they need to be doing. وَقَدْ ذَكَرَ الْفُقَهَا رَحِمَهُمُ اللَّهُ أَنَّهُ يُسَنُّ فِي خُطْبَتَيَ الْجُمْعَةَ أَنْ يَخْطُبَ عَلَى مِنْبَرْ It is sunnah that the khutbah should be given on the member. لِفِعْلِهِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ Just as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. وَلِأَنَّ ذَلِكَ أَبْلَغْ فِي الْإِعْلَامِ وَأَبْلَغْ فِي الْوَعَضِ حِينَمَا يُشَاهِدْ الْحُضُورِ الْخَطِيبِ so on the member is the sunnah to do the khutbah. Al-Imam al-Nawawi said, 
اتخاذه سنه مجمع عليها to have a member to do the khutbah is a sunnah which is agreed upon also from the sunnah of khutbah an yusallim al khatib ala al ma'mumin idha aqbal alayhim that the khatib should give salam to the attendees when he arrives he should give salam to the attendees when he approaches لقول جابر وكان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا صعد المنبر سلم that when the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to go up onto the member he used to give salam when he used to go up onto the member he used to give salam ويسن أن يجلس على المنبر إلى فراغ المؤذن also it is sunnah that the khatib he comes gets onto the member gives the salam and then sits on the member and waits until the Mu'addin finishes the Adhan. And that is also mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Umar. كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يجلس إذا صعد المنبر حتى يفرغ المؤذن ثم يقوم فيخضب. The Prophet ﷺ used to sit and wait on the member until the Mu'addin was done. Then he would stand and give the khutbah. Also from the Sunnah is أن يجلس بين الخطبتين That the Khatib should sit in between the two khutbahs. Again, hadith of Ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhuma, kana al-nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yakhtubu khutbatayn, wa huwa qa'im yafsilu baynahuma bijulus. Hadith in Bukhari Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu used to give the two khutbas, and he used to split between them by sitting in between. Also, and this is something some of them they mention too, it is mentioned by some of the scholars, that it is sunnah for the khatib to lean upon to lean upon and have a like a walking stick some type of stick when you're standing on the member is there anything to hold on to so it is mentioned here to have like a walking stick how we call the walking stick to have like a walking stick or some type of stick that the khatib can hold in his hand and he has something to lean on that is mentioned by some of the scholars as a sunnah of the khutbah they mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu used to do that. And it, some of the scholars, I think Shaykh uh, uh, Muqbil and others, they do mention this issue of having something, uh, some type of stick. Nowadays, what we just say the walking stick, having like a walking stick to lean on as you give the khutbah. I don't recall the narration. But there are some of the scholars who do mention this. Uh, I believe uh, Shaykh Muqbil was one of them, definitely. And others, who, and Sheikh Fawzan, he has mentioned it as well. He says from the sunnah is also to lean on a stick. To lean on a stick or some type of stick. As a sunnah, it's not obligatory, it's not anything conditional. But as a sunnah, some of them mention that it's good if you do that as well. So you can maybe find something here. Get me a stick. Get the, uh, all the people who come to the khutbah here, give them a stick. Give them a stick on Fridays. Insha'Allah, insha'Allah. It is a different about, it's not something all the scholars mention. It's not something definite. Some of them say it is not proven. But some of them they mention as a sunnah, not as obligatory or condition or anything like that, as a sunnah. Some of them say that the Prophet ﷺ used to do it or there is some evidence he used to do it. But this week your homework can be this one. Your homework is to investigate this issue about the khatib having a stick when doing the khutbah. Investigate this issue. Let's see what you can find about the khatib having a stick when doing the khutbah. وَيُسَنْ أَنْ يُقْصَدْ تِلْكَ وَجْهِهِ لِفِعْلِهِ وَلِأَنَّ الْتِفَاتَهُ إِلَى أَحَدٍ جَانِبَيْهِ إعْرَاضٌ عَنِ الْآخَرِ وَمُخَالَفَةٌ لِلسُّنَّةِ لِأَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقْصُدُ تِلْكَ وَجْهِهِ فِي الْخُطْبَةِ ويستقبله الحاضرون بوجوههم لقول ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه كان إذا استوى على المنبر استقبلناه بوجوهنا Also the khatib when he gives the khutbah then his face where he looks should be ahead He shouldn't be giving the khutbah looking at the side of the mosque down there and all these people what they're doing then He shouldn't be giving the khutbah with his face all the way down there His face should be ahead the khatib, when he stands, he should be ahead. So it shouldn't be looking to an angle down there and giving all his khutbah facing there. Or looking at an angle down there, giving all his khutbah facing there. 
but his face should be at the forwards direction. And in the narration, it mentions how they all used to sit. Kana uh, al-Mimbar, when the Prophet used to go up onto the Mimbar, that we used to face him with our faces. So the Khatib, he looks to the forward direction. Not looking at an angle here or at an angle there, but at the forward direction giving the khutbah. وَيُسَنُّ And this is an important one now. يُسَنُّ أَنْ يُقَسَّرْ الْخُطْبَةَ تَقْصِيرًا مُعْتَدِلًا بِحَيْثْ لَا يَمْلُوا وَتَنْفُرْ أَوْ تُنَفِّرْ نُفُوسَهُمْ The khutbah should not be made very long. It is supposed to be made an average length. It is not supposed to be long in fact. They say the khutbah of the Prophet ﷺ is mentioned here. In some of the narrations and some of the scholars, they mention the khutbah of the Prophet ﷺ used to be how long? So in a time, how long maybe? At the maximum. They say the khutbah of the Prophet ﷺ at the maximum was around 20 minutes. Normally 15-ish. That's it, the whole khutbah. First two khutbahs, everything. 15 minutes. Maximum if you push it out of 20 minutes. But 15 roughly, that's it. Because yes, it is mentioned about the prayer. The prayer, roughly the same length as the khutbah. Prayer, even if you pray nice and slow, it's going to be maximum 10-15 minutes. So the khutbah, 10-15 minutes. That is how it is supposed to be. So that is the maximum that it would be. And there are narrations that talk about that, about having the khutbah and the prayer Roughly the same. It is a mistake when people do a khutbah for 30 minutes long and then a prayer 5 minutes at the end. Or a khutbah 40, 50 minutes long and the prayer 5 minutes at the end. Rather, a khutbah 15, 20 minutes and then the prayer uh, approximately 10 minutes. That is, thereabouts what people do these days, the practice approximately 20 minutes for the khutbah. It sometimes maybe goes on to 25 as a maximum and then the prayer 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the end. But it should not be that you have a half an hour, 40 minute khutbah and then a five minute prayer at the end. That is not the way. It should be more balanced. Also, it is sunnah that the khatib should raise his voice. The khatib should raise his voice. It's mentioned in the hadith about the Prophet Sallallahu used to raise his voice and his face would redden when he was giving that khutbah and admonishing the people. So that is how the khatib should do it. Also, the Shaykh mentions, it is permissible for the khatib to make dua in the khutbah. As many of them they do, you notice. To make a small dua for the community, for the Muslims, make a dua for yourselves, for the society, that Allah guides us and makes us strong upon knowledge and practice. To make a dua, uh, or for the rulers as well, etc. All of these types of dua, it is allowed, and it is sunnah, the Shaykh says, to do that. As for abandoning du'as altogether, never doing any du'a, the Shaykh says that is from the methodology of the innovators. Uh, regarding, that is particularly regarding the rulers. He is talking about the issue of the rulers. Often you hear in the khutbahs when some of the scholars, others, they give khutbahs, they make a du'a for the rulers at the end as well. The one who abandons the du'a for the rulers altogether outside of khutbah as well, that's innovation. So, making some type of dua, that's good too. The Shaykh says, these types of sunnahs have been abandoned so much that if you were to do some of them now, people will think you're strange. If you were to do some of these sunnahs, people think you're strange, even the length of the khutbah. If you did the khutbah just 15 minutes, people will say, that was so short today, why did you do it so short? Make it a bit longer. The sunnah is 15 minutes, or there or thereabouts. So, some of these sunnah things now, the people, they find them strange because they've been abandoned. Also from the sunnah is, as soon as you finish the khutbah, the prayer should be established straight away. Everybody gets up, straighten the rows, establish the prayer. There is no break, sitting, relaxing, then doing the prayer afterwards. Khutbah finishes, everybody gets up, line up and establish the prayer. And the actual prayer is two raka'at, where the imam reads out loud, that is by consensus. Uh, and it mentions about some of the surahs that can be recited. 
in that khutbah prayer, Sabbih isma rabbika la'ala, hal ataka hadithul ghashiyah, and other surahs as well that can be recited in that prayer. So they are the rulings regarding the Jum'ah khutbah. The other ones he mentioned, the munafiqeen, uh, and also uh, Surah Al-Jum'ah itself, فَالرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى مِنْهَا مِنْهُمَا بِسُورَةِ الْجُمْعَةِ And in the second one, Surah Al-Munafiqeen. Those two Shaykh mentions here. On top of that, he mentions uh, in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِكَ الْعَلَىٰ أَنْ هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ غَاشِيَةِ That's the ones he mentions here. Mm. Next chapter is very good, and we will be here next week to do it. Next week, we're going to do the chapter about Eid prayer. Because the week after that is going to be perfect timing. We have come to this chapter at the perfect timing. Next weekend, inshallah, everybody come, tell all your friends, family to come. One-off lecture about the rulings of Eid prayer. I'll summarize that it's a short chapter anyway, it's only eight pages. We'll do all of the chapter, all of the sunnahs, everything about the Eid prayer. So that will be the topic next Saturday, inshallah. Go on, what's your question? You should not. You should come and pray here at Masjid Al-Huda. This is a Salafi mosque, a masjid upon the manhaj of Ahlul Sunnah, the only one in Bolton. So you have no reason to go anywhere else. You should come here. If you were stuck and something happened and time was going or some situation and you ended up there, okay, your prayer is valid. But at yourself, you don't choose to go there, you choose to come here. First and second Jum'ah, two Jum'ahs in the same mosque? This is an issue, the people, they do this type of thing, but I don't know about the validity of that. I don't know about the validity of that. I do not know scholars, they say this is okay to do, to do two Jum'ahs in the same mosque. Uh, caravan homes, settled places, then it's okay. The Sheikh says what is recognized in the norms of the people as a resident. So these people, they considered residents. They're not going anywhere. They just happen to live in a caravan, but that is a residential place. So the Jum'ah is upon them. The point here is where it's not an actual residential place. The place they live in isn't considered a residential place. Then there's no Jum'ah. But those types of caravan homes in caravan home parks, they live there. That is their home residence. They're not going anywhere. And those caravans are considered as homes for them. And in society, it's accepted as caravan home parks. So upon them, it would appear it would be upon them to pray. I don't know about a particular sunnah to do that. That an imam takes that time every Jum'ah and gives them a small three minute reminder as they're sorting things out. Not as a constant sunnah regularly. Not as a constant sunnah. On the other occasion it happens, something happens, some issue, no problem. But as a sunnah you do it every time, I don't know any generation about that. You know, safest thing, according to all of the, what the scholars mentioned, the safest thing, probably it is to do it outside. Or to go into uh, or some outside of the main hall. Safest thing. Because some of those fees, they have to go towards the payment of teachers' wages. That is, that's a business transaction. It's not just purely for the mosque and the teachers are teaching for free. Then you could say there's no business transaction. That is pure donation to the mosque. But some of that has to go to... Payment of the wages of the teachers and things. So then you have a bit of a grey area. So it is safer, safer to sort that out maybe outside. Just organize it very simply. Whenever the fees are for the week, the teacher takes them here outside or something. In some way where it's done outside of the hall will be safer. Not necessarily. Disliked Allah, if it is disliked. Permissibility, definitely, there's no issue. 
Is it permissible for one person to give the khutbah but a different person to lead? Is it permissible? Absolutely. Is it something disliked? Allah Maybe some of the scholars may say it's disliked. But in terms of permissibility, it's permissible, no doubt. That the scholars have mentioned definitely. Least amount, some of the scholars, it's a difference again. Some of them say two can be done. One khatib, one person. Others they say minimum three. Others they say even more. There's many opinions. Some of them say much more than that. Forty some of them say. Thirty some of them say. But minimum opinion of the scholars two. One khatib, one person. Not necessarily. It's not a must to be performed in the mosque. If you were in some situation where you could not do it, uh, you're, you're in a workplace, there's a bunch of Muslims in the workplace, you can't get to the mosque. Impossible the way it is. So all of you could get together and pray a Jum'ah in that, in that uh, workplace. Otherwise you're missing it every week and you have no reason to miss it. Go on. Say again, say again, say again. If, uh, if the, the, it's not obligatory upon the traveler to pray at the market. Mm. But if uh, you walk in the market and the football is going, is it permissible for him to stay and listen to the No, no. Then he stays and listens to the khutbah and prays. He's a traveler and he walks into the mosque, he's thinking, let me just pray dhuhr and go, and he ends up walking in, the khutbah's going on. He has to sit and listen to the khutbah and everything. Only in extreme circumstances, his flight is about to leave. Extreme circumstances different. But otherwise, you sit and listen then, you can't do that, walk out. That's even normal prayers. Normal prayer, if you walk in and they're praying their prayer now, you've got to join in full. So let alone the khutbah, then you have to join in. The, some mosques do a small talk before the khutbah. That small talk before the khutbah, what sunnah is there for that? There is no sunnah, I don't know any sunnah about doing a small talk before the khutbah. The khutbah is the, is the sunnah. Use what? Hmm? For what? MashaAllah, put everything on it and decorate it. Wastage, wastage, is not uh, good in Islam. No, it's not good to do that. Like it sticks to the Prophet on wood, that's it. Wood from the branch and you take it. All these expensive things, it is not from Islam generally, this wastage, israf, impermissible. Alright, we'll have to conclude there. A sister wants to take the shahada, can we do it now? How? Can the sisters not do it? Oh, absolutely. No, so they can do it? Is there somebody capable to do it? From the sisters, can someone do it? So if the, if the sisters can do it, they can take care of that, then you should do it. Do that shahada. One of the sisters who is capable, explain. Yeah, so when, uh, when, the, when you're going to do it, and when uh, you explain, then you need to say the shahada. The shahada to enter into Islam. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Hey, but they're going to do it. They're going to do it themselves. Huh? The sisters, when you do it, one of the sisters now slowly do that. Slowly do it, uh, word by word. And you can uh, perform that shahada now and uh, enter into Islam. So they can do it from the back. Huh? So that shahada, to enter into Islam, when you read that then, the shahada, the testimony of faith, that testimony of faith is to testify that uh, you believe there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Allah is the creator, the sustainer, the provider, and there is nobody else, no other deity, no other partner, no other participant to Allah. Allah is the sole creator, sustainer, provider, and Lord. And our worship is singled out, directed to Him alone. There is no trinity, there is no other gods, there is no parties, uh, participation. 
There is only one single deity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whom we direct all of our worship to. That is the opening part of the shahada, that you testify none has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah. He is your creator, he is your provider, he is your sustainer, he is the one who controls the universe, he is the one who provides for you, sends the rain, he is the one who created you, gives you life, gives you death. So you submit to him, your submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you are a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are one of his creation, and Allah has created us all, and created all of the universe, and to him we will return in the end, we will return to him and the resurrection will occur, and our accountability will occur. So you testify that your life is in worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second part of the testimony is that you testify Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the final messenger. He is the final messenger to whom you obey, meaning you obey the guidance he came with, the guidance that Allah gave him, the revelation that Allah gave him. You obey that and you stay away from what the Prophet Muhammad warned us against. And you believe in all of the information and the revelation that the Prophet told us about. And that you will only worship Allah in the way that the final messenger Muhammad informed us of how the final Prophet told us to worship. So when you make these two testimonies, you are testifying that you believe only Allah and you will only worship Allah alone. He is the only one deserving of worship in truth. And you testify that Muhammad is indeed the final messenger of Allah, came with that revelation from Allah. And we believe in all of the other prophets and messengers before him. We believe in Ibrahim and Musa and Isa, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Noah, all of the prophets and messengers as Muslims, we believe in them absolutely, 100%. And we believe at the end of them all, the final one, the final messenger was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So that is the testimony you make. And once a person makes that testimony, then it is as though you are as you were the day you were born, free and cleansed from all of your sins. So that is certainly a great thing that Allah has guided a person to this truth, has guided a person away from misguidance, guided a person away from a life that was not fulfilling, a life where your heart is not content, and then you come into this worship of Allah, recognizing you are a servant of Allah, recognizing that there will be a resurrection and your accountability. So certainly that brings a great purpose to your life and brings great meaning to your life and brings you great contentment, serenity and tranquility and peace to your heart. So that is the testimony a person makes. Have they already done it or are they going to do it now? So you can do it now. So repeat, repeat the words then. We'll do the words and repeat those words of the testimony. So the beginning part you say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan abduhu and that is the testimony that I testify Allah is the only one deserving of worship in truth and that Muhammad is his servant and messenger and with that testimony now you have entered into the religion of Islam Alhamdulillah so that is a great blessing from Allah a tremendous blessing from Allah upon the sister and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We ask Allah to keep her firm and to make her affairs easy for her 
and to make her life fulfilling now as a Muslim and to be a righteous servant and to be entered into paradise. So we'll conclude upon that for today and the sisters can help the sister now and explain and provide whatever she requires inshallah ta'ala if you require anything from the brothers then they'll be able to assist too. So we'll conclude upon that and carry on next week. Ah. Uh, at the end, scholars do say you can do it. Don't go loud. Don't say ameen, ameen, but a bit quiet. Quietly saying the ameen, we mentioned it before, it's allowed. Along with the imam at the end saying the ameen quietly, it's allowed. But big, loud, everybody ameen, ameen, not like that. So we'll carry on next week at approximately 6.30, 6.45. بي ام ان شاء الله تعالى وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين